Okay, so welcome and thank you for allowing Oasis to share with you on a day that's really special to us. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Simone, I'm the social worker at Oasis. Um, and throughout the years, <laughs> throughout the years, we've always had our amazing managing director who's used this opportunity to both educate and advocate um, for the 20 children in our care. This year, sorry to the Bev fans, I have been given the opportunity to talk about our theme, which is Raising Hope. So, right. um, when given the task of finding a theme, I was inspired by a sitcom called Raising Hope. And for those of you who have not watched it, it is about a 23-year-old man named Jimmy um, who is suddenly finds himself with the task of having to raise his baby as a single father, because the baby's mother is imprisoned. It's very dramatic, but, <laughs> but it is a good show. Um, and he has absolutely no idea what he is doing. And he spends the first episode fighting with his family about actually keeping this child. Um, as I said, Jimmy is completely clueless. Um, and, but all he knows is that he needs to do everything in his power to raise this baby, whose name is Princess Beyonce. Um, and he decides the first thing to do is to change her name, that she won't get bullied at school, and so he changes her name to Hope. So by the end of this episode, baby Hope has crept into everybody's hearts, and the family, despite having nothing, do absolutely everything in their power to give this baby the lives that they had wished for when they were growing up. So... This is so easily linked to vulnerable children. As just like Baby Hope, these children did not ask for their circumstances, but they are deserving of a community who is willing to do everything in their power to help us raise independent, capable um, children and to inspire confidence and worth. Um, that these children can be successful contributing members of society. But often when talking about vulnerable children, it's easy for us to turn off and to stop listening because these children are not our calling. It's also easy for us to turn a blind eye um, because it's not affecting our children. You might even feel annoyed that you're having to listen to the same problem again. Um, so this has always been very frustrating for me because I've always found it very easy to care. So I don't understand why it's not easy for other people to care. Um, so I had to start doing a little bit of research over the last few months. Um, and throughout the Bible, I found a lot of information about what we should be doing with vulnerable children. And I found that God is very clear in his word. He doesn't suggest us caring for children. He expects it. Um, so what does the Bible actually tell us? So one of the um, verses that highlighted this for me was in James 1 verse 27 where it says religion that our uh, religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world so if we analyze this more closely James is calling out members of the church for labeling themselves as religious when they only attend some ceremonies and follow some of his commands but these same people do not control their tongues, and they worship false idols and gods, and they were tainted by the evils of the world. So to me, this actually sounds a lot like modern society, where we still do not control our tongues, where we care more about what's happening to the celebrities than to our fellow community members, and where we are obsessed with technology. Um, 
So, where was I? <laughs> so then James says, although it will not be easy, we can return to pure and faultless religion by moving away from the world's evils and by caring for the vulnerable. So James is telling us that by choosing to not care for the vulnerable, we're actually lying to ourselves about being truly religious. So what does care actually mean? Um, so God is very clear in his message, but I'm still confused. <laughs> and I think that I was confused because it comes down to what actually constitutes as care. And this is where the message gets a little bit blurry. The Bible doesn't give us specifics of exactly what we need to do to care. Um, I personally believe that this may be where calling comes into, into play. For some people, it might be financial care. Uh, where for others, it might be things like mentorship or educational care or even skills building. Um, but for me, it is adoption. And I think that this starts to make the message a little bit clear, uh, clearer, that care has many contexts, but it always has to be purposeful, um, physical, and intentional. And if it is not, then it is not care. <laughs> So, a little bit more about what the Bible says. I carried on doing research, and I found the exact same verse. But instead of using the word care for orphans, it said visit orphans. And this word instantly triggered me, because the word visit is so fleeting and temporary. And in my experience, this actually causes so much more harm than it does good. Oasis gets a lot of requests of, can I come and spend my birthday? Or um, can I come for one hour while I deliver food? And it's great for the hour. I think the children enjoy it. And then you leave and you never come back and they're just reminded about how alone they really are. Um, so this for me could not be what God intended. So then I thought further about the word visits and I was like, okay, but positively I visit my parents. Um, and what does this mean? So to me, it's <laughs> where we laugh and we bond and we de-stress and we start to fill up our emotional tanks. So this makes a little bit more sense to me about maybe that's what God means by the word visit. It's about building bonds, building relationships and creating a sense of security. So once again, this has to be a conscious effort that continues to develop over a period of time. Or this version of visit cannot be achieved. So just quickly, if you look there, what does it mean to visit orphans or vulnerable children? It is building bonds, it is strengthening connection, it's consistent, it's value adding, and it's about meeting a need. It is not once off, it is not for social media, it is not to teach your children about what giving is, it's not a birthday party venue, and it's not a place where you can give untrained therapy sessions. Um, so to continue, the, the Bible also in Isaiah 1 verse 17 says, um, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, and plead for the widow. Although this verse extends to more than just vulnerable children, there are two key phrases. So the first one is learn to do good. And I found this surprising because I guess that means that we don't all naturally do good. <laughs> Um, and it isn't something that comes easily to all of us, but we can learn, we can improve, and we can actively work to become somebody who truly does good. 
I remember a few weeks ago um, when we were busy doing Timothy, Dan said that we were all called to give in some way, but that it needed to be intentional. And he used the example of the car guard, that if you had really wanted to give to the car guard, you would have gone out of your way and drawn the money, and then you would have come and given to the car guard. Um, and a lot of us didn't, despite having a good heart. And this message really resonated with me, because that said to us that if we really wanted to do good, or if I really wanted to do good, I needed to I inconvenience myself, and if I, and then I would go and I would draw the money. So most of us, I think, fell into this category. And actually, from then on, I've challenged myself a little bit to actively do good and to put more effort into it. I can't just say I'm a good person and then not. Um, so. The second phrase that stood out for me was to seek justice. At first I thought, how does the average Joe go about seeking justice? Because I'm a social worker and every day I feel like I am failing these children. I'm not righting wrongs of their past. So how is just a normal person going to do this? And then I realized that maybe I was misinterpreting the word justice. So I went and I looked it up in the dictionary. Um, not the big one, just the one on my phone. Um, <laughs> and it said that justice is to be treated in a manner that is equitable and fair. And so for a practical way to explain this is that for years, Christmas presents for our children that have come from various places and donors included of things like wheat bags, pads, toothpaste, toilet paper, and wrapped very beautifully with a bow. Um, and then New Creation took it upon themselves to actually ask, what do our children want? And our children have now, is it three years or four years? I can't even remember. Um, have gotten exactly what they have asked for every year since then. And this has made them feel heard and it has made them feel worthy. So how does this link to justice? Justice is fair and equitable. Your children your grandchildren, your nephews, your nieces are not getting, I don't think so, but they're not getting wheat picks and pads and toilet paper for Christmas. And they are deserving of not getting those things. But so are our children. Um, and so justice is that you continue to provide that for your children, but you also provide that for ours. Um, so it is clear that we, the church, the body of Christ, must become aware of the plight of children. We are not called to turn a blind eye. And David in Psalms 82 verse 3 reminds us that the church is called to defend the poor and fatherless, to do justice to the affected and the needy. Um, as humans, we are quick to make excuses about why we can't do this. So these are some of the real excuses that I have heard in the past year, but in the past five years as well. Um, I'm not rich enough to make a difference. 200 Rand is a lot right now, you know, inflation. I couldn't adopt. I don't think that I could ever call, um, that I could ever bond with somebody that's not my own. But you don't know what behaviors they inherit from their parents. My own children would feel very uncomfortable, or volunteer times are very inconvenient for me. So adoption, foster care, caring for children who have aged out of the system, caring for children who are still in the system, is a very daunting challenge. Um, and a lot of us do not feel ready for this, especially because we fear the unknown. So my husband, who just walked past, 
Um, me and him also had very similar conversations about this from when we were basically children. Um, so when we began dating, I told Rabin that I wanted four children. Don't judge me, I was 17. <laughs> um, but that one, at least one of my children, preferably two, had to be adopted. But Rabin only wanted two children. And as we matured, I said, I actually don't care how many children we have, but one child has to be adopted. So then we got married, and our agreement going into marriage was that Rabin decided three children was a good number. Um, for some reason, he wanted to test out two biological children, and then he said, then we should adopt. And for me, I was always more comfortable with the idea of adopting because I felt like I could be a parent in any form. I had no fear about bonding because I had bonded with every single child that had walked through the doors of Oasis and felt like if I was given the opportunity, I could be the parent to any one of them. Um, Ruben, on the other hand, was worried about bonding. So we discussed adopting a baby girl because he had always made connections easier with girls. Um, and when we were pregnant, he was actually very, very nervous to find out that we were having a boy because he wasn't, even, he wasn't sure if he would even be able to bond then. But bonding is a funny thing because when Nathan was born, Rabin effortlessly became a dad and he fully immersed himself into this role to the extent that I even became a little bit jealous about how cute their bond was. But... Me, on the other hand, I did not bond instantly, and I had no idea what to do because I had never not bonded. I felt like a failure because what kind of mom doesn't bond instantly? So, if you know me, I am a Googler. So, on to Dr. Google I went to try and find out why I wasn't normal, and what I found here was hundreds of women who were experiencing the same thing where logically we knew that we loved our babies and we would fight to the death for our babies, but we just didn't yet feel connected. And so then I relaxed a little bit and I placed less pressure on myself and I focused on healing. And the next thing I knew, I was bonded. And I can't tell you the exact time because it wasn't an event. It was a process of our daily routines, our quality time, our singing and our laughing. And this created an unbreakable bond. And for me, this is just like adoption, where a bond may not be instant, but it can be developed. Ruben and I also discussed money <laughs> and when we would have enough money to have children and when we would be in a financial place to adopt a child. I don't know why Ruben was always convinced that an adopted child would cost more than a, <laughs> than a biological child. Um, so once again, I was very naive and I saved up my money and I thought that 20,000 Rand in the bank was, we were settled. And it was a lot of money, and it was a perfect amount of money for the first six weeks. Um, and then we had nothing. <laughs> so this got me thinking, if we were going to use money as an excuse, because it was easier that way. Um, but when we fell pregnant, we couldn't use it as an excuse. We just had to do, make do with the money that we already had. So I know for myself that I can't use this as an excuse because I know that God has a baby for me that's not going to come out of my body. So therefore, as a family, we would be forced to make the financial changes to make it work. And I needed to be intentional in building our, in building our family 
in order to be able to financially maintain another child. And this is why James said that it would not be easy um, because these choices and decisions are life-changing. They would be life-changing for myself, for us as a couple, and for our future family. So Oasis Haven has been caring for orphan and vulnerable children for 23 years. And in this time, we have cared for 115 children, 20 who were reunified with their family, 20 who went into foster care. Unfortunately, four of these children died. Um, two were transferred to different homes and two aged out, meaning that they left Oasis with no one. Um, and 45 children were adopted. So of these, 19 children were adopted and fostered by people in this church. Um, so this means that 19 children were given the best possible chance of having a successful life. Um, and, that, and that is what the power of the church is. Having said this, we know that adoption is not possible for every family, and also it's not legally possible for every child. So as such, we need to find ways that we are still able to care for vulnerable children. God has stated that we need to care for orphans, and in order to do this, we need to understand their challenges. So what is the plight of vulnerable children? Just to name a few, loneliness, fear, loss, grief, unknown futures, illness, separation, identity challenges, unknown history, poverty, physical abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, educational gaps, and this list can continue for, for hours. So explain, to explain this better, I want to invite my three volunteers on stage. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> she just left. <laughs> so what I've asked them to do is I've asked them each to write their three favorite people, their three favorite things, and three wishes or dreams that they might have for the future. So ladies, if you can quickly just share. My favorite people include Wesley, my husband, Lana and Wayne, my parents, and my sister Kayla. My three things are musical instruments, art supplies, and my bed. And the last one, my dreams or wishes, is to live a life of servitude to the Lord, for that good and faithful servant thing, the end, to go to Bali and a bigger car. Um, my three favorite people, the first is uh, Nathan, because he's my boyfriend. Um, my siblings, there's a lot of them. Um, and then uh, Auntie and Uncle Jay. And then my favorite things, I love books, music, and uh, like data, art supplies, or anything, you know, crafty. <laughs> um, and then my dreams to get, like my dream job, which is working as a pediatric nurse somewhere. Um, to one day create a loving family of my own who serves God and to just help others the best that I can. My three favorite things are food. Uh, <laughs> Daniel's food. <laughs> Heels, music, and my three favorite people should not get to their heads, Sam and Martha. Jackie Hill Perry, Azola and Lindy, and then the three things that I'll, and my friends, <laughs> three place, things that I would love to do is go to South Korea to eat all their food, um, travel all over Africa, and compete in a CrossFit meet. Oh, look at that. 
Okay, ladies, do not go anywhere just yet. So you guys have beautiful smiles, and I'm going to turn those upside down. Um, <laughs> please, may you choose one person that you would like to get rid of. They're no longer in your life. Wasting. No, I'm just joking. I'm playing. I'm joking. I love you. <laughs> what? One thing? No, one person. Just a person. That's can't so do mean. it, Simone. I love them all. Okay, well, she said Wesley first, so Wesley's gone. <laughs> okay, pick one thing. One, one thing. thing. Oh, I'll go with art stuff. Okay, her art stuff is gone. Passions. Sorry. <laughs> pick one dream. One dream that I can get rid of yeah, that I... Yeah. Um, the South... No, the South, <laughs> the South Korea one. <laughs> the South Korea one. Okay. So... Now those things are gone, they're no longer in your lives. And now another terrible event has happened, but this time you don't get to pick, it's me. Can I please have your papers? So that's just like, okay, so goodbye Lana and Wayne, sorry. That's very sad. Um, sorry, you're not allowed to get your dream job. And food, you're really gonna struggle. <laughs> Okay, thank you, ladies. <laughs> okay. Um, so vulnerable children do not get to choose what their biggest loss is. They have no power in this, whether it is because of death, abuse, abandonment, or an adult always decides this for them. Vulnerable children are hurt, they are neglected, and they are displaced. They are made to leave everything that they know in the hope that we'll put them in a better place. Vulnerable children did not get to choose which loss they, well, what thing they lost, and they certainly did not get an opportunity to ask for a loss back. As such, it is expected that they are hurting, that they are fearful, that they lack trust, and that they fear connection. And I believe that this is the reason that God is adamant in the protection of vulnerable children. So at Oasis, we use Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, once you understand the plight of vulnerable children, it's much easier for you to meet their needs. Um, so if you're looking at this, how it works is that you have to meet the bottom tier in order to move up to the next one, and then it follows on from each other. So the first level is physiological which is food, shelter, clothing. And this is where a lot of our donors do get involved. Um, and this assistance is vital in for order for us to continue. The second level is about safety and security. Um, so this is that we have safe surroundings, we have family, and we have social acceptance. The third level is about love and belonging. So this is friendship, intimacy, and connectedness. Most of our children are stuck somewhere between level two and level three. And this is because it is some of the hardest levels to meet. How do we allow children to feel loved and connected if all they have ever known is fear and rejection? So this starts to look really daunting for us. We've been told by James and Isaiah and David that God expects us to work with vulnerable children. But how can we if they have experienced so much and we feel so unprepared. So the answer to this is in empathy. And I had to write exams on empathy, but I can't explain it that well. So here's a video. <gasps> um.
So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here, and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? <laughs> um, empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time. Because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Okay, so in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. And this is so scary for us to do. Because why do we want to connect to these feelings of loss? And this is where it becomes easier to walk away or to have a superficial relationship. And where children say things like, um... I'm scared for my future, I don't have family, and you say, at least you have oasis. Or, I hate that I was born, everyone has left me, at least you have a good life now. I can't remember what my mom looked like, she's been dead for so long. At least you know your mother loved you, other children were left by theirs. I don't feel like anyone loves me, at least you'd be adopted one day, or... My favorite one is, but Jesus loves you. So, in order to bring about healing in children, uh, in children, children need connection. In order to have connection, there has to be vulnerable adults who are willing to empathize. Only once there is empathy um, and connection, 
So once there is empathy and connection, there will be healing. But for you as the adult, once there is empathy and connection, it should be impossible for you to want to do nothing. So if we carry on with Maslow's hierarchy and we get to level four, this is self-esteem. So this is a critical area that you can play a part in, but there does have to be a shift in thinking. Because as humans, we believe that as long as we meet the basic needs for a vulnerable child, we've done our job. So this is secondhand clothing, whether the knees on the jeans are taut, a million, ton, uh, a million tons of baked beans, and this is a good thing. And it is a good thing if all we're wanting to do is reach level one. But if we are wanting to achieve another level, of level four with self-esteem. Children need confidence and they need to feel worthy. So on Mandela Day this year, we asked for our primary project to be, we had a Mr. Price catalog and the children came and then we sat down and we picked their favorite outfits and we put it on there and it was their style and I think everyone was a little bit excited. Um, Obviously, I did it for all the, all the smaller ones because I feel like I know them really well. Um, and it was a very successful Mandela Day. We got a lot of people who came and helped, um, but most of them donated food and toiletries. And the, we only got four items of clothing. And the common message that we got from all interested donors was that I would rather help meet their needs with toiletries and food, but I'll give secondhand clothing. And like I said, this was really helpful. It helped sustain us for a good many months. I don't think we've bought toiletries since then. Um, but we really failed in terms of building the self-esteem of our children. We did not let them get to, we did not let them now choose their own clothes that were in their style, that fit them, and that had actual value. Um, so this day helped us meet the physiological needs of our children, but we missed the intended mark of reaching that level four. And we very rarely have children who reach level four. Um, I don't think any of our children have actually reached this level four. So it is the hope of OASIS that we help meet these needs that our children can reach level four in the future. And then level five is self-actualization. So only once you have reached this level, so this is for all of us, can we have wishes and dreams that are actually realistic and achievable. Um, so it is my hope that God will use today as an opportunity to speak to every one of you in terms of how you can assist a child in reaching level five. So, there is very rarely coincidences, is my belief. It was not a coincidence that in February 2012, I went to Exploits Youth for the first time in two years. It was not a coincidence that it was a quiz night and they put me in a group of absolute strangers. It was not a coincidence that the stranger next to me, I had to make quick friends with him. It wasn't a coincidence that a few months later I went to go watch the rugby in New Zealand versus South Africa and posted a picture and the same stranger started talking to me. And it was not a coincidence because 11 years later, this is the family that was created. Um, so, today is not a coincidence either. 
And I say this because it is not a coincidence that you chose this church to be a part of. It is not a coincidence that everything aligned, that you could actually be here today. And it is not a coincidence that you cross the paths of 20 vulnerable children every Sunday. God has placed you in this church with access to 20 children that he's placed in our homes for a purpose. He is not asking you to help the 1 billion of the world's orphans or the 2.9 million orphans in South Africa or the 21,000 children who are in care. He is asking you to help one of the 20 children who you see every week. He is asking that you form a connection and bring justice because that is the heart of God and we are his hands and feet. So to end off, I want to play a video of the hopes and dreams of our children. And my prayer for today is that each of you, in your own capacity, will choose one child and try and make that hope or dream come true. Um, our ask this morning is that you, the church, our direct community, partner with us in ensuring that our children become strong, resilient adults who feel worthy of love and thus we break the cycle of trauma.